0: Welcome to episode 164 of the Man of Scream podcast I am your host Mike Zumo And this episode I'll be discussing Episodes 17 and 18 of season 1 of Superboy That would be the episodes Bird Woman of the Swamps And Terror from the Blue One not so great episode and another one that's a little bit better Not a whole lot to talk about as far as these two episodes go So this could be a shorter episode than usual But before I get to the business of this week's episode, I have feedback to address. This feedback here is from Dave McElvenny. Dave's writing in on Mana Screen, episode 153. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I have to agree with you that the production values of these two episodes brought the quality down a good deal. I enjoyed the stories, although I think the script for Back to Oblivion seemed a bit muddled. I do think that Dave Pagoda was a good casting choice here for Mr. Wagner, and I think he did the best job of all the actors in this one. Not surprising, given the relative inexperience of the rest of the cast. On the subject of casting, I really enjoyed seeing Ray Walston as Professor Gordon in The Russian Exchange Student. Of course, I've been a fan of his since watching him in My Favorite Martian when I was a boy. And whenever I see him in anything, it's always fun. Again, for this episode, the script was pretty formulaic, but it was serviceable. I don't think anyone was watching Superboy expecting to get Shakespeare or Ibsen. So, although I think there are better episodes of this series to come, these will do for now. Live long and prosper. Dave, yeah, I mean, there's really not much else to say about those episodes uh, that Dave talked about in his letter. Yeah, back to the oblivion, you know, it was a bit muddled. And what you see this show does, and it's going to try to do it again in uh, Bird Woman of the Swamps and to a less extent in Terror from the Blue. The show is trying to be topical, trying to make Superboy kind of the the champion of the oppressed. Or actually, Lana is more of the champion of the oppressed. She she, uh, shows quite a bit of activism in the Season 1 episodes. Clark is shown as more of a guy trying to find the middle ground and uh, come up with some kind of a solution that's best for everybody. Like I said, is more of the champion of the oppressed, but they're trying to be topical. And in this episode, then back to Oblivion, obviously you've got Abe Vigoda, who, I believe he has some kind of dementia or Alzheimer's, I don't really recall, but it was sending him back to World War II uh, Nazi-era Germany or Poland, I'm not sure which one, but the writing doesn't really do it the acting doesn't really sell it you know that's probably a lot to ask of a young Stacey year to move all that dialogue with just words in the script but they tried you know that's really all you can say and uh yeah the russian exchange student when well, the apple the one uh, with tj and his uh who was in love with the exchange student tj is always in love with someone and that's kind of a something we're seeing uh in these episodes but it's another formulaic episode but you know not good, not bad, it just, it kind of is. You know, and that's really all I can say about it. So, yeah, there are better episodes to come. I'm not sure I'm talking about them in this episode, but there's better. Definitely seasons three and four, which I have which I know because I've seen them. Season two, I'm not sure yet. Because if I've seen any season two episodes, I don't remember them. So, let's uh take a break, play a podcast promo, and then I'll come back with... Birdwoman of the swamps hang around folks
1: a historic moment tonight the berlin wall can no longer contain the east german people it is 1989 after 28 years of dividing a city and symbolizing the divide of the cold war the Berlin Wall opens up. And from there, everything changes. Fallen Walls Open Curtains is a podcast miniseries from Pop Culture Affidavit and hosted by me, Tom Panneris. From November 2019 until December 2021, I am going to take a look at the events that took place 30 years ago, beginning with the fall of the Berlin Wall and ending with the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War. Along the way, I will be flashing back to the landmark and not-so-landmark pieces of popular culture that reflected and defined the Cold War. The first episode will drop on November 9th, 2019, and future episodes will be released quarterly at popcultureaffidavit.com and 2TrueFreaks.com
0: Alright, welcome back, folks. We're going to start this episode off with Bird Woman of the Swamps. Original broadcast date was March 4th, 1989. This episode was written by Reza Barigi. Writing credits are Migdia Varela, Bernard M. Khan, and Bernard S. Khan. Maybe a father and son duo, I guess? Guest cast includes Marlene Cameron as the Bird Woman, Kim Crow as Professor Rogers, James MacArthur as Hogan, Ted Science as the Accomplice, Jack Swanson as Frank, Liz Vassie as the Student, and Michael Sinclair Walter as Woody. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. An overturned earth mover at a construction site prompts Clark and TJ to investigate Mr. Hogan, the foreman in charge at the site.
2: I don't know how long it's going to set us back. I might have spent all morning trying to figure out how to turn that thing over. Turn it over? I not think it'd be easier just to build on top of it. Do you have any idea who did it, Mr. Hogan? You betcha. A bunch of environmental fanatics from Muir College. They left a calling card? They didn't have to. Look, I'm not faulting the students too much. I know they're concerned about the environment. But I'm trying to build housing for the poor. That's a problem, all right. <clears throat> how about a shot of you in front of it, Mr. Hogan, give people an idea just how big this puppy really is? It weighs more than 15 tons. Huh. Must have taken the whole football team to do it.
3: I'll tell you what, when we get back to campus, we'll do some snooping around and see what we can come up with.
2: I'm not interested in pressing charges. I just don't want anything else to happen to this project. It's important to me and the community. So tell them to lay off, okay?
0: Clark, meanwhile, notices an old Indian woman nearby. And while TJ heads back to the campus, Clark speaks with her. Good morning. Who are you?
3: I'm Clark Kent. I'm a reporter for the Schuster Herald. They didn't believe me, so I had to show them. Show them what? That they are not in control of the wetlands. My people have lived here since the beginning of time. And will still be here at the end of it. Did your your people do that? No. Do you know who did?
4: Birds did it.
0: On the way back, Clark asks TJ to drop him off so we can have a look around. After TJ drives off, Clark changes to Superboy writes the bulldozer and goes to speak with the Indian woman.
3: You are the enemy. You push back the earth mover. I'm not the enemy, neither is the builder of the project. This development is for the poor. Ours are being destroyed. Lakes and streams dried up.
4: Animals, stop.
3: This is only one small housing development.
4: Little by little, the land is nature made it disagree.
3: No one's out to hurt anyone. A compromise must be made. Both sides have to give. My people have given enough. I will speak with the developer. I promise something will be done.
0: Another promise. Only to be broken.
3: Trust me, please. At school. Where's Clark? He's buying a birthday present for his mother. Uh, hey, uh, listen up, everybody. You know that, um, housing project? The builder thinks that some college students pulled a giant prank last night. And I mean giant. Does anybody know anything about that? What kind of prank? And uh, earth mover was overturned. I'll explain it to you later. The coffee shop, 7 o'clock?
2: You know that, uh, development should never been permitted. Oh,
3: here we go again. No!
2: Once that force is cut down and cemented over, it's finished. It never grows back, and it always adds to that... <sighs> Greenhouse effect.
3: You know, a wise man once said ecology and progress must somehow find a way to live together. What wise man was that? Clark Kent. <laughs> oh, hey, can you talk to your mom? Wish her
2: happy
3: birthday for me. Well, thanks, Lana. Yeah, what did you get her anyway? Nothing yet. I, I need help. Can you guys lend me some of your good taste? Lana, can you lend me some of your good taste? <laughs> <laughs> sure.
2: Um I think I'll have a little time today, so.
3: Okay. Uh TJ, drop off my assignment for me. I can't make journalism. Where are you going? I made an appointment to see Hogan. This is the only time he could see me. Well what about me, huh?
2: He said no pictures, man.
0: Clark tells Hogan about the Indian woman's
2: I'm not gonna ask any questions. I'm as happy. Whoever turned it over, put it back again. Well, I don't think there'll be any more problems as long as everyone is reasonable. See, when I was in college, I blew off a lot of steam myself. <laughs> uh, what do you mean reasonable? Well, I mean certain compromises have to be made. Uh, look, uh, this project is falling way behind as it is, and uh, there are lots of needy people waiting desperately to move in. Mr. Hogan, I was talking to the old Indian woman, and she's willing to she's support. crazy,
3: crazy. She talks to birds. Mr. Hogan, she might be crazy, but she makes a lot of sense when she talks about the wetlands being developed out of existence. Look, kid, I'm caught between a rock and a hard
2: place. I'll tell you what. I'll talk to the mayor. I'll talk to the city council. I'll I'll see what I can do. I'd appreciate it, Mr. Hogan. In the meantime, I'll uh, put the project on hold. (laughs) That's great. Mr. Hogan, I don't know how to thank you.
3: Thanks again, Mr. Hogan.
2: That crazy Indian woman is causing us more trouble than she's worth. Tell me about it. We've lost two crews scared away by her Indian mumbo-jumbo and stupid magic spells. On top of that, she swathed to the city council and held up our permits, then made a big stink at the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Hey, just say the word and she's history. I just said it.
0: Superboy goes back to tell the woman that construction will stop until an agreement can be made.
3: You again. I just wanted to tell you, I spoke with the builder and he stopped work on the project. He understands the problem.
1: The construction has not stopped.
3: It's impossible, I just spoke with him. Two liars talking to each other only make more lies. I'm not lying, you must trust me. You've done enough harm.
0: You cannot be trusted. But the woman calls upon Indian mysticism and seemingly puts a spell on Superboy. The hero collapses in pain as the woman chants shaking her staff and saying he'll pay for being a liar. Superboy manages to roll away and fly weekly to safety, but he knows something isn't right about Hogan. After he flies off, Hogan's man drugs the woman and lays her near a swamp filled with alligators. Clark and TJ go to investigate further that the company that Hogan works with is charging top dollar for building material, even though they're using metal grade that doesn't even hold up to safety standards. While TJ takes pictures of the evidence, Clark turns to Superboy and heads to stop Hogan. On the way, he finds the indie woman and rescues her.
1: Thank you for saving my life.
3: I was wrong about you. You were right about a lot of things. I made a promise to you. I'm on my way to make good on it.
0: And he takes off to do so. Superboy confronts Hogan at a building site. Think of me as a friend of the court.
3: What court? Criminal. Starting at the bottom of the list, you're a liar. Second of all, you're a vicious cheat, stealing from the city and endangering people's lives by building with inferior materials. You don't know what you're talking about. And worst of all, you're a murderer, attempting to kill an old woman.
0: Hogan denies everything and then signals for one of his workers to ram Superboy with a bulldozer. Superboy is uninjured by the attack and captures Hogan in a rolled up fence. Moments later, TJ takes pictures as Hogan is arrested, and Clark shows up to mock Hogan's new home with his friend. In the final scene... What's the matter,
3: Clark? I just don't like the way this article sounds. I mean, it makes all construction workers seem like thieves. Hogan is the exception.
2: The low-income housing project at the wetlands that has caused such an ecological furor has been cancelled. City council has pledged to find another place in town to build... Wait. Oh, there is one mistake, Clark. What? There's only Harold. two hours in
4: furor, not three.
1: Oh, hi. There. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, he <laughs> Clark, it's uh, your
3: mother. Hello, Ma. Present what present I, I didn't I didn't get you. Yeah, well, I mean, how do you like it? <laughs> happy birthday.
4: Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, monkey. happy birthday to you.
0: Okay, you know when I watched these episodes on my uh, computer. When I'm preparing my notes, my screen is such that I can see the, the status bar telling me how long I've got to go in the episode. And it doesn't go away. At least not on the DC universe app in that particular screen that I use. I don't recall any other episode of this show in which I watched the status bar more than this episode. I could not wait for this episode to end. It's just, it's not good. I rolled, rolled my eyes a lot. You know, one of the things that you think about when you're watching this show and Clark's a college kid. He's not an established adult Clark Kent. Why the hell is this project former listening to a kid from the college newspaper? Well, obviously you find out that he's not, but it's like, I don't know. Just we're getting to the point, guys, of season one where I'm starting to get a little uh, frustrated with this season, and it's easy to see why there were some wholesale changes after this season and going into season two. I'm kind of amazed that there was a season two after uh some of this. But anyway, so we start off with Clark Kent interviewing uh, the foreman of the construction site here. That's uh, Mr. Hogan. And like the synopsis said, he's uh, quick to blame uh, the college students for overturning uh, the Earth Mover, which is probably not a leap. I mean, obviously, you know, definitely in the 60s and 70s and uh, maybe even the 80s to an extent, college kids were synonymous with protests. And, uh, you know, sometimes they have their, you know, a lot of kids get caught up in causes and, uh, the environment is always always a big concern for a lot of people. I mean, so I guess you can think it might be one of two things. Either uh, environmentalist students trying to stop the project or, you know, a bunch of frat boys trying to, uh, or a frat boy prank. But either way, he's blaming college students, you know. And he's very defensive. Like, I'm trying to build home- home- homes for the poor here. Like, blah, blah, blah. Okay, dude, if it's that important to you. But apparently he's trying to really uh, knock home the fact that this low-cost housing project is important to him. Good for him. And then we kind of see this mysterious woman just kind of standing in the swamp. She's got a a staff almost with a raven kind of perched at the top of it. So this is our bird woman of the swamp. And uh, she warns them that they should have listened to her. And uh, she's going to remind the workers that my people were here first and we'll uh, be here until the end and the birds did it. Yeah, no one's buying that. You know, Clark is uh, giving it the time of day. TJ is not thinking about the environmental uh, activist, and he's going straight to the uh, group of drunk frat boys for turning over the earth mover. And Clark thinks there is something to the bird story, and TJ is giving Clark a ton of crap for it. But you know what? Clark is a being from another planet. Well, obviously TJ doesn't know that, but they know about Superboy. If uh, you've got a flying kid in a red and blue costume, uh, maybe birds knocking over a bulldozer is not the most far-fetched thing in the world. I don't know. These things don't happen in my world be cool if they did. So Clark uh, kind of gets out of the van, and uh, TJ and he go in separate ways. So here is Clark with his skateboard again. We only see the skateboard when he wants to do shirt rips, because apparently somebody thinks Clark doing a shirt rip on a skateboard is cool. Maybe it's Newton. Maybe it's someone else. Either way, we're doing it again. I mean, you would think the skateboard shirt rip is something you only get away with once, but we're trying it again. At least uh, we're not committing to it, because there's a whole bunch of screen flashing between... Very quick cuts between Clark doing the rip and him uh, coming toward the camera on the skateboard. And then we have this hard cut, and Superboy flies off in this awful-looking shot. I mean, the shot looks like it's executed well enough, but something I don't know is wrong in the video transfer. I don't know if it's the copy that the DC Universe app has or what, well, but it looks like somebody took a video shot of a screen. I mean, it's a good shot of seeing Superboy flying in the air from above. I don't know. The quality of the picture is just awful in them. I mean, wow. I mean, you can even tell it's the same set because you recognize the uh, the greenery behind him and the skateboard is still down on the ground. But you know, just the picture quality on this episode so far is uh, poorer than usual. But we do get a nice shot of Superboy uh, overturning the Earth Mover. You know, putting it back into its uh, original upright position, and uh, he's uh, checking out the birds and they're flying overhead. You know, he's keeping uh, he's keeping an eye on them, and honestly. I've already checked out of this episode because I'm wondering, does he go back for the skateboard? I mean, he left. He just left it there in the middle of the street. Does, does he go back for it at any point? Or does he have to keep buying a skateboard for his shirt rips? Of things I I thought I would wonder about during the course of this show, where Clark Kent puts the skateboard is not something I, I never thought I'd be wondering about. I never thought I could imagine Clark Kent riding a skateboard. And now I'm thinking about whether or not he goes back for it. Anyway... Back to this uh, extraordinary episode here. Superboy is uh, visiting the Birdwoman, and overturning the bulldozer makes him the enemy. And uh, like Clark, and obviously like Clark, they're the same person. Superboy is pushing a compromise, but the Bird is done with it. No compromises. So I guess she can imagine her people have been put, put out by the U.S. long enough. And uh, now she's uh, pushing back you know, all by herself, her and her uh, staff and the Raven here. So back at school. T.J. is, uh, at lunch with Lana and Clark, and, uh, he is going to, uh, announce, you know, stand on the the outside cafeteria table and announce that college students are suspected in turning over the Earth Mover. Lana is coming in on the side of the Bird Woman. Surprise, surprise. Anytime you're looking for some activism, uh, Lana's going to come in and, uh, cover that for us, and, uh, Clark is, you know, he's trying to find a compromise. He's trying to find a way to, you know, to get that low-cost housing for the poor, and, uh. To keep this irritated bird woman happy. One thing, I do like the trio of Lana, TJ, and Clark. I can buy these three as friends. And they act like they're friends. You know, there's jokes between them. And uh, all three actors, their chemistry is uh, well enough. That's not the problem. But even the good chemistry between your three leads cannot make this episode good. And you're going to see that in season three, again, I really can't speak much about season two. I mean, the college trio is going to become a duo where once we get to the Bureau for Extra Normal Matters, it's mostly Clark and Lana. And then uh, there's uh, the boss, uh, Jackson, I think that's his name. And then uh, Matt Ritter, who works there, but he's not really, uh, he's, you know, part of the staff. He's someone he's an adult that works there. And uh, the college duo becomes Clark and Lana. Because one of the things I've noticed so far is that this show is struggling To get Lana into the story. I mean, the newspaper stuff is all Clark and TJ. They take an extra effort to get Lana into the story. And we may or may not see that again next season with uh, Andy McAllister. I don't know. But I guess we'll see when we get there. So now uh, Clark is pushing his compromise with uh, Hogan, the developer. And uh, the minute Clark mentions the Bird Woman, uh, Hogan gets uh, annoyed. But in what I thought was a shocking turn. He promises to talk to the mayor and the city council about it. And he tells Clark he's going to put the project on hold. No developer would do that at the request of a college reporter. No developer would do that at the request of a professional reporter. I'm not even sure the developer could put the project on hold without any kind of approval. I mean, there's many levels of bureaucracy and everybody reports to a different master. So this guy in his hard hat can't just decide, oh, no, project's on hold. I think he's just pretty much the engineer. I don't know if he's, uh or maybe he's the money guy. I don't know. I'm probably thinking more about this than I should be. But either way, this is when we realize that Hogan is our villain as he tells one of his goons to have the bird woman killed. So Clark is putting out a lot of crap on TJ to cover his absences in this episode. I know. And it doesn't really give TJ good explanations for where he's going. First, he has him handed in a, an assignment. And now he's having uh, TJ take something to lay out. Oh, and once again, we're back in the old uh, little Schuster Herald little office with nobody in it. During the uh, Revenge of the Alien episodes, we had this huge, expansive, and very busy-looking Schuster Herald. Now we're back into this uh, one room that only TJ and Clark seem to have access to. So, Hogan hasn't stopped. The Bird Woman calls Superboy a liar. She bangs her stick a little bit, and Superboy is down for the count. Yeah, I'm s- scratching my eye. I was scratching my head, too, when I watched the episode. But Superboy is vulnerable to magic, so... I'm guessing uh, what she's doing has some supernatural properties, and we get no indication that there's kryptonite around. So, yeah. So eventually, Superboy just kind of rolls around and flies away. And now uh, Clark is going to interrupt uh, some kind of look like literature class, and uh, Lana and TJ are in it. Uh, the uh, professor <laughs> makes a bit of a stink about Clark trying to pull TJ out of the class. You know, make a whole big show of letting TJ go. Then Lana tries to follow, but uh, this uh, irritated professor. Find out right so that Clark only answered TJ Miss Lang, sit down, you still have to attend class. So, now we find out that Hogan has not stopped the project, Clark is pissed, and he's on his way. And, uh, Clark is really beating himself up over this. He, uh, says he should have checked up on Hogan, and you know what? He's absolutely right. He should have checked up on Hogan. I mean, there may not have been anything to find, uh, on Hogan. You know, sometimes you're, I mean, you're not a criminal until you are, on, and, uh, for all we know, uh, Hogan has had a clean slate up until this bird woman got under his skin. There is no way to know. Meanwhile, uh, while uh, Clark is uh, flagellating himself here, Hogan's goons have knocked out the bird woman. And I've never seen Clark this angry. And being this angry has made Clark kind of careless. Because he starts venting about how the bird woman may have put some kind of hex on his powers.
3: I can't blame the Indian woman for feeling I'm the enemy, you know? You put me under some spell. I lost all my powers. Powers? You're talking about powers. 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 Mental powers. I mean, I could hardly think.
2: I mean, even now, I'm being vague. Yeah,
0: a little. Right to TJ, and he's like, huh? 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 What? (laughs) And Clark has to maneuver himself out of this with utter nonsense about mental powers, and he just kind of talks in circles until... TJ just gets bored with the explanation, but it's not a good explanation. And so now TJ drop in on this guy. I don't even know who the hell this guy is. But I love how people just walk into random offices. Doesn't this guy have a secretary that could tell these kids to leave? That no Mr. Whatever the hell his name is isn't going to see you? You know, it's like in Star Trek, The Next Generation, when people just stroll onto the bridge like they're supposed to be there. No. So I don't know if this is like the town hall or... Or some office building, but TJ's just taking pictures of the office, and that's a big no-no. TJ's explanation is that it's the public's right to know, but, you know, the, and this is odd coming from me. I'm a journalist by trade. The public doesn't have the right to know everything. There are things that have to be kept from the public, done in closed session because there's money or changing hands or the possibility of lawsuits. And you can't just take pictures of somebody's office just because you're there. And it, especially if it's private property. I don't know if this is some kind of company, or if this is, like, the town building department, or whatever it is, but TJ's taking pictures, this guy here at the desk is getting pissed about it, and basically what they're trying to do is catch the foreman in a lie about having uh, rejected the, uh, faulty steel. Well, either way, it's a job for Superboy, and this, uh, raven in here, it looks like she's trying to protect the bird woman from the alligators. Apparently what this goon did was he, uh, and I didn't even see this at first either, he knocked out the bird woman and left, uh, some, uh, dead animals around her, and, uh, I guess the plan is when the alligators come to, uh, feast on the dead animal parts, it'll feast on the still alive bird woman. And I'll bet you never knew you wanted to see Superboy fight off alligators. Well, here's your chance. If this ep- episode is gonna present anything worth seeing, it's Superboy fighting off some alligators, which is very Florida. So now that he's saved her from being eaten by alligators, uh, the woman admits that she was wrong about him, and, uh, he also so tells the Bird Woman that she was right, so we have a little uh, mutual admiration society going on here, and uh, Superboy is gonna make good on it, and uh, I guess that means uh, he's gonna take on Hogan, who's really in trouble now when Superboy shows up, and Superboy shows up, and he gives this whole litany of uh, Logan's crimes, and on top of all that, and oh, you're a liar. Yeah, yeah, because in the list of things that Superboy has listed, murder, and the faulty steal or attempted murder, rather. Things Superboy has listed: the attempted murder, the faulty steal, being a liar is, is what's gonna get him sent away for uh, twenty or thirty years. Right now, now the next Superboy gets scooped up by an earth mover. I'm not sure why this thing can move him. Maybe he let it scoop him up so it doesn't injure the guy operating it. But you know, it kind of just bounced off him. He wasn't weakened by anything because he easily escapes the uh, the, tr- the trap and throws some chain-link fence, which lands and cages the bad guys, you know, and the arrest is overacted. Uh, Hogan is yelling like a lunatic. I'm all most ready for uh, him to yell something like, uh, and I would have gotten away with it too, except for you uh, damn kids and your stupid superboy. But very overacted, and uh, it's done. Well, at least almost done. It's not done yet, as Clark is finishing off his article, and I'm glad to see that the episode is over, and apparently there's some plot about Ma Kent's birthday that I forgot about, uh, but uh, fortunately the writer did not. Apparently TJ and Lana covered for Clark and sent Ma a present. Yes, Clark Kent, the perfect son, got so involved with this uh, d- development project that he forgot to buy his mother a present. So, oh, so, like I said, this is one of those episodes where this show was uh, paying lip service to an important issue, and it's tried that with the homeless and job inequality before, so oh, I am really longing for when this show gives us some more comic book-like plots. This was not one of them. I'm ready to move on. And I hope you're ready to move on. So let's move on and take a podcast promo break. And when I come back, terror from the blue. Hang around, folks.
4: Take the Earth's mightiest heroes, each an invincible champion of justice, and band them together to assemble the legendary Justice League of America. For 261 issues and three annuals, the DC Universe was defended from threats on Earth and beyond by this legendary team, operating from a cave in Happy Harbor to a satellite orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth to uh, Detroit. Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, will follow the league through all their evolutions. Please join your host, Mike Peacock, as I seek to cover all of the issues of the classic pre-crisis Justice League of America series. Through the magic of the JLA Transporter, each issue will be randomized, with special episodes covering a complete story arc if needed. Along with the issue coverage, we shall also look at what the then-current members of the Justice League were up to in solo appearances in other comics for the JLA Cover Month issue. So do not hesitate to activate your JLA signal device for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, on ClassicJLA.Podbean.com or by subscribing through iTunes.
0: Alright, welcome back, folks. I'm going to finish this off with Terror from the Blue. Original broadcast date was March 11, 1989. This was directed by David Grossman, written by George Kirgo. Guest cast include Chuck Bernhard as Kinnerman, Eddie Edenfield as Baker, David Hauser as Manton, Jim Howard as Gray, Roger Preto as Zeke Harris, Zeke, can you believe it, Harris' first name is Zeke, I was quite surprised at that, you know, not Rich or Steve or Rob, Zeke, we thought of that, Chase Randolph as Oscar, Michael Stark as Jason Stone, and Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa as Detective Jed Slade, and our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Lieutenant Harris is hospitalized when, after confronting one of his fellow officers named Slade, Slade shoots him three times in the back. Harris, out of sympathy, had agreed to give Slade a day to decide how to best turn himself in for running on multiple illegal rackets on the side.
2: You picked a strange place to meet? Only because we're friends, Slade.
1: I didn't want anybody to hear anything we don't want them to hear,
4: what are you talking about?
1: I'm talking about the shakedown rackets you're running, Slade. You and who knows how many other cops. Dirty cops. <laughs> you're out of your mind. Oh, come on. You got your hand in prostitution, gambling, laundries. There's only one way to go turn yourself in and save the taxpayer some money.
4: Hey,
3: all I've heard is talk.
1: You never make it stick. Oh, no. I'll make it stick, all right. I'll make it stick, Slade. The only way you'll dodge hard time is by giving me the names of the others involved. You know me better than that, Harris. Listen to me, Slade. Listen to me. Cooperate. You can plea bargain. Maybe get a year. Two at the most. I'll put in a word
0: with the DA. Give me a day to think it over. Okay? But as the lieutenant was walking away, Slade struck. Slade and the two others chase Lana Lang, who witnessed the uh, the event through a tenement, but she's able to escape. From a phone booth, Lana calls both Clark and police headquarters. Before passing into unconsciousness, Harris told Lana she could trust an officer named Coyle, and so Lana tries to contact him. Another cop, Stone, answers instead and claims to be Coyle. Yeah, who's calling?
2: Sergeant Coyle? I was with Lieutenant Harris when he was shot.
1: Uh, this is Sergeant Coyle. You say you saw Lieutenant Harris shot? Where are you
2: now? I- I'm at Staten 4th. Okay, don't move. No, I won't move. I'll stay right here. Hurry, please. I'm scared. We're on our way. Okay.
0: Clark tells her that he and TJ will meet her at the police station. If Delana leaves the phone booth dropping her wallet in the process, the dirty cops bust onto the scene in their Chevy Cavalier, with a machine gun the booth. Clark tells CJ to go meet Lana while he heads to be with Lieutenant Harris, so the dirty cops won't make a move to finish Harris off. Arriving at the hospital just in time to stop the crooked officer from pulling the plug on Harris, Superboy tells the guard to have the cops he can trust by Harris's side at all times. Lana, meanwhile, is staying with an ex-hippie named Oscar, who hit her with his truck before taking her to his trailer. Lana leaves a message on Clark's answering machine, which is intercepted by Slade, giving directions to where she is. Clark hears the message and knows the phone was bugged, and that the bad guys are on their way to kill Lana. But before he goes to the rescue, he takes time to seal the buggers out in a van they're parked in outside. Before Superboy arrives, Lana and Oscar have been assaulted, and almost killed multiple times. When Superboy shows up, Slade has cornered Lana, and for some inexplicable reason, he's about to use a one torch to attack her. But Superboy puts a stop to that. Ugh.
2: Well, the doctors say another week, and you'll be back on the street, Lieutenant.
0: Ah,
1: the streets. That's where I belong. Where a man can eat a hot dog for lunch in peace. Would you come through for me, T.J.? Look out for the nurse.
2: <laughs> I'll see you later, Lieutenant. Bye, Bye T.J.
3: Bye-bye. T.J. Dr. Davis, tell Lana? Me, Dr. Davis, tell I'm sorry about the other morning. I know I really screwed up.
2: What else is new?
3: I mean, I might could have helped.
2: <laughs> you? Against all those killers? Right.
3: Where are you going now?
2: I've still got my poli-sci paper to finish. I'm going to the library.
3: You um, uh, mind if I come along? It sounds like a good idea.
2: Well, if you're sure you have nothing better to do. <laughs>
0: So, not as long a synopsis as uh, we're usually accustomed to, but but there's really not a lot to synopsize or even really take notes on about this episode, because it's basically a 22-minute chase. An enjoyable chase at times, ridiculous at others, but how much can you really say about a chase? Well... We're gonna find out because I'm about to say it. This episode starts with Alana wanted to see Harris for a poli sci paper. And here is uh, Tagawa. You know, I've seen him in a lot of stuff. He was very well known for being uh, Sung Shang, or i will probably butchering that name for Mortal Kombat, but I do remember him from the Mortal Kombat movies. He was also in uh, my favorite television show, which, believe it or not, is not Superman related, but uh, the uh, sci fi series Babylon 5. He was in an episode of season three called convictions where he played a security officer. You know, he's a very, uh, try to find the best way to word this. He's a, he has a very unique look and you know, he's one of those guys that when you see him, you know, it's him and you know where you've seen him before. You know, he's not so much of that guy that, you know, one of those guys who face, you know, but never know where you saw him because he's been in everything. When you see a you, uh, He's so recognizable that you know where you've seen him, even if you've only seen him once or twice. He's not an actor that you forget easily. And obviously, uh, the character's name being Jed Slade, there is nothing Japanese about that. And I, I kind of like that. You know, it just shows that, you know, anybody can be anything on this show. He, you know, Tagawa's nationality has no bearing on his character here. There is nothing uh, stereotypical about him. He's not here doing a whole bunch of. Uh, Martial arts, he's just a dirty cop. He, he could be a white guy or a black guy. It doesn't matter. Anybody could be this character. And that's one of the things that appeals to me, that it's not just uh, you a know, random white dude. It's this recognizable actor playing this role, and I like that. So this episode starts with Lana wanted to see Harris for uh, her political science paper, like I mentioned. And uh, Slade is our dirty cop. And uh, Harris is about to uh, call him out on it and Harris is pleading with Slade to, uh, turn himself in, when well, it doesn't ap- appear that Harris has any evidence, maybe he does, and we didn't hear about it, and if he, if Harris doesn't have, uh, any evidence, Slade has no reason to give in to Harris' request. So, I'm not sure what's going on here, because I don't think Harris has just heard about this, I mean, I can imagine if it's something Harris has just heard about, you know, he says, he could go, hey, Slade, I heard about this, and what's going on, are you involved in this, and, uh, it's not that kind of conversation. It's a. I know you're guilty and I'm giving you time to turn yourself in. But so maybe Harris has some evidence that we don't know about and he's giving Slade a chance, but you know. Harris should be smart enough not to do that. If Harris had irrefutable evidence that Slade was involved in whatever this is, racketeering or whatnot, he should be there with people he can trust and just arresting him, not meeting him in a back alley trying to get him to turn himself in. What he gets though is shot three times, you know, and. Just by Slade asking for a day, that tells me that he's guilty. Because if he had nothing to hide, he wouldn't need a day to think it over. But Harris Slade not paying attention and shooting Harris three times in front of a witness. Not smart. I mean, couldn't they uh, arrange for Harris to have some kind of, I don't know, accident in his shower? Or an explosion at his stove or something like that? And having gotten shot three times at the upper torso. You know, they say he was shot in the back, but it looks like he was shot in the front, too. There's definitely an exit wound on the front. Or some kind of wound, so I thought Harris was uh dead, but he's not. And uh, now Lana's on the run, so we have this uh nice, uh, suspenseful chase as Lana runs from uh, from some of these guys. And uh, Lana runs into this old tenement, and she's pretty smart here. She's running up the stairs as uh, she opened and closed the door on the second floor to uh, throw off her tail, and then as she continued up the stairs, she took her shoes off to uh, prevent them from hearing her. So that's a nice touch, that's showing some brains because. Probably those uh, big shoes she was wearing probably would click or clack as she ran. And they'd hear it. But I guess they're not going to hear her running on her bare feet. So as she runs out the hallway and she finds herself on the fire escape. Takes a, a couple seconds to put her shoes back on because, you know, it's hard to run on the concrete without your shoes. And uh, she's still running. But uh, Lana is uh, saved by the bell. No pun intended. Sirens that uh, prevent this his men from uh, chasing her any further. So now we're back in the dorms with Clark and TJ. And uh, Clark picked up the envelope from Lana x-rayed it and apparently he was upset because he just kind of threw it down and uh clark apparently got hung up somewhere superboy and he uh, missed his appointment to uh, drive lana to the police station uh a couple of, a couple of episodes ago lana was gassing up a jeep to drive pa kent around so i want to know what happened there why she can't drive herself to the police station but neither here nor there so harris while he was uh slipping into unconsciousness after getting shot in the alley tells uh lana to call uh sergeant Coyle. once you get to a phone booth lana does and uh Oh nope, Coil's not in right now. Uh, Sergeant Stone, who sits at the n- desk next to him, is there, and he takes the call. And we're gonna find out he's on uh, involved in whatever Slade's involved in. So he tells her to sit tight, saying that he's Coil. So Lana's in trouble again. So now Lana tries to call Clark, but TJ's on the phone with his uh, love interest of the week, and uh, apparently, uh, according to this note, Lana is mad at Clark because uh, she uh, because he stood her up. And of course, TJ is uh, confused. As Clark didn't open the letter, but, you know, we know what happened, but TJ doesn't. So, uh, after uh, she makes her call, Lana drops her wallet, and that saves the life of this uh, little old lady in the phone booth because the cops come by and shoot the hell out of it. Again, dirty cops opening fire on a phone booth in broad daylight. Not smart. Don't these guys uh, have some drug dealers or something under their thumb that they could have put out the hit for them? So, as they're leaving, they go pick up Lana from the police station. Uh, Clark to <laughs> convinces TJ to Let him go to see Harris at the hospital because his presence would uh, help deter the dirty cops from trying anything on Harris. I'm not sure on what planet TJ is going to believe that because uh, you see what's going on. We see what's going on on the street here. These guys are not nearly afraid to shoot up the, uh, the town trying to get Lana. There's a lot more witnesses out in the open. But obviously we know it's just a ruse to become Superboy as he flies behind a van and takes off as the boy of steel. So now Slade has found the wallet that Lana dropped and, uh, they're gonna stake out TJ and Clark's dorm room. Well, they're not gonna find Clark because there's no reason for him to appear as Clark at all until the situation is resolved. So now Lana runs into a movie pickup truck and is knocked unconscious by it. Yeah, literally not paying attention, just running, and she runs into a movie pickup. Okay, just insanity after insanity in this episode. So now here's Stone uh, relieving the uniformed officer on duty and, uh, well, we know he's going to do something to Harris because Stone was pissed. When he hears from whoever that St- Harris uh, is still alive, he slams his hand down on the desk and is angry. So now uh, he's uh, going to finish off Harris by turning off the life support machine. And I like when Newton does a tough Superboy. And he does it well here and then throws Stone into a wall. And now, <laughs> I love the dumb look on the uniformed cop's face, who comes in and sees Boy just kind of leaning over Harris while the uh, alarm on the life support system is going off. It doesn't look good, but since he's Superboy, he's not doing anything. And, uh, everything's okay. He just, the dumb cop just gives a weak nod and a thumbs up. And, uh, he takes his orders not to have anyone leave Harris' side. I assume by anyone that means him. But I do like that as he gets to the door, the show has him super speed away. So now we learn that random guy that almost hits her just takes Lana back to his place. Not to the hospital or to the emergency room. Nope. Uh, I almost ran you down with the car, honey. Come to my little trailer in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> You're thinking that too, aren't you? So, fortunately, uh, he's a nice guy and he lets to leave a message on Clark's answering machine and, uh, that's how the dirty cops are gonna find Lana at Oscar's uh, trailer in the woods. Apparently, they say Oscar was a former hippie, so he must have been a protester as, uh, Lana is all geekly looking at his old photos of old protests. And now these dirty cops are rolling in on Oscar's trailer and, uh, because they took down the directions that Lana gave Clark over the, over the answer machine, it almost reminded me of, uh, the Perils of Superman from The Adventures of Superman. Olsen, get in your car. The two masked guys, uh, having Perry White, give uh, directions to Jimmy over the phone. And, I don't know, I just think Dirty Cops should be much more subtle than this. I mean, maybe I'm just spoiled from having watched The Shield for seven seasons. But, those guys didn't do a lot of shit themselves unless they needed to. They they would not have gone around shooting up the, t- the city like the way these uh, morons are. So Superboy finds the bug and he goes to take care of the uh, the buggers. And he's not very subtle with this van at all. He just t- pulls it by the roof and pushes the tires down and flattens them. And then he welds the doors shut, at least the back doors. He didn't do anything to the front doors, though. So I can imagine these guys should just walk through the van and get out the front if they had any inclination of escape. But we don't watch that deeply into these guys as Superboy flies away. And now these uh, cops are kind of chasing uh, Lana around the woods here. Lana takes out one of them with a fire extinguisher. And Oscar takes out another with a flying leap before more bad cops of cars show up. And I'm I'm always amused in some of these cop shows with uh, guys in suits mixing it up physically. You know, I barely want to do anything when I have my good pants on. I don't want to step in grass. I don't want to go in anything that might be wet. Nothing. But nope, these guys are running around the woods in their uh, suits. But I guess that's the job, huh? So Slater caught up with Lana. And instead of just shooting her, he's going to threaten over the blowtorch because we want to be extra nasty. While well, all this is going on, Ostage is just fighting this one guy as a poorly animated Superboy shows up. And uh, apparently the blowtorch didn't work on, Super- on Superboy, and uh, Superboy really wanted to uh, punch uh, Slate's head off here, but instead he just kind of throws him over the car and into Night Nightland. So this kind of adventure is definitely going to give Alana some trust issues with the good guys, which I doubt is followed up on at any point. So... Here's Harris. Uh, he's uh, being visited uh, by our main cast. I mean, doesn't this guy have a family instead of these three college kids? And why does every episode that involves a hospital have to show the patient being recovered by him complaining about the food? Yeah, hospital food being terrible is a well-worn trope, but seriously. And then uh, apparently our TJ stuck him in a hot dog. So That's the joke. So, uh, Lana is giving Clark crap about standing her up, and uh, she says she's going to the library. He asks if she wants to come along, and she kind of coyly invites him. You know, if yeah, you can come along, if you have nothing better to do. I have no idea what this show intends for Clark and Lana. There is a flirtation between them, but it never develops. It never goes anywhere. Her, whatever crush she has is given to Superboy. It's it's a very, uh, not even really a Lois Lane thing of the time, because... I mean, mainly the Lois Lane dynamic was that she was in love with Superman, but kind of oblivious to Clark. I mean, Lana is not oblivious to Clark in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But and it's something I've mentioned before. They flirt with each other endlessly, but it just never goes anywhere. At least not as Clark. They each will get upset if one of them is dating somebody else, but nothing ever happens with them. And but meanwhile, her letter that was her really upset about the thing with the. Uh, Not being able to drive her to the police station and how she can't depend on him, that That's like a a relationship-level letter type of thing, but it's just this dance the show constantly does that that never goes anywhere. And I do have that with some sense of foresight that I know it never goes anywhere, but the show might make you want to think something's going to happen, but I know the producers have no inclination to send this anywhere. This is not that kind of show. And despite that, though, this was a better episode than the first one. Not much plot to it. Like I said, basically a chase. You know, I kind of wonder how deep this corruption goes in the department. It seems like it goes pretty deep. You know, is there more investigating to be done? Or did this one incident just wipe it all out? It handles the uh, police corruption, which may have been the most interesting thing about this episode in a very superficial way. But, you know, it is what it is. And I must say, Harris uh, recovered very quickly for someone who was shot three times in the chest. I mean, he went, what, in the space of a couple of days from being comatose to... Have TJ sneak hot dogs in? <sighs> anyway. Next time, the next two Superboy episodes, War of the Species and The Little Hercules. Until then, if you want to leave feedback, it's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Till next time, folks. We're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Jumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright, their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks the Internet Radio Network and can be found at ww.tutrufreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man Screen Podcast.